0: This is episode 40 of the Gone Rogue podcast. This is Kate. That just totally reminded me of what is that Anna Faris, Rachel McAdams movie where she becomes a dude? Rachel McAdams becomes a guy. What's that guy's name? He's like the weird dude in every Adam Sandler movie that has like fucked up eyes every single time. And there's that scene where Anna Faris is like realizing that this guy is not a guy. It's actually a girl. And he's like, it's me. Jessica. <laughs> that's that's what it felt like just then. It's me, Kate. <laughs> Welcome, episode 40. What a start. I just need to let you all know that we have surpassed 100,000 plays. In fact, it's almost at 110,000 plays. How insane is that? That is It's mind blowing. Like even in the last week, we haven't posted an episode in so long. We've had almost 200 people listen to the podcast in just the last week. Like, So let me let me talk through some of the some of the um, analytics in in terms of location. Forty nine percent of our followers are in Australia, which makes sense. Twenty four percent are in the U.S., 8% are in the UK. Then we have a small little 5% in New Zealand and a 4% in Canada. Um, And then we have like Germany and the Netherlands and then a massive list of countries with like less than 1%. Um, Most people are listening to it on Spotify with another chunk of people listening to it on Apple Podcasts. In terms of age, we have most of our listeners, they are between 28 to 34 years old. Then it's the 35 to 44 year category. Then the 23 to 27 category. Um, And then it goes the 45 to 59, that's 7%. And then 18 to 22 is 5%. Um, And then we have a little bit in the 60 plus range. And then I don't think much, it's still saying like under 1%, but 0 to 17. Hopefully not that many in that age range. Mm. (laughs) Gender, 76% are female, probably because you listen to me. I understand (laughs) if not a lot of men want to listen to me okay I get it um also the topic maybe I would say that the topic is a little bit uh vulnerable and I don't know maybe maybe I'm just stereotyping men right now um but 22% of Allison's are male then there's a few that are like non-binary non-specified that's less than three percent um and then what else can I give you oh let me give you the top Okay, of all time, top episode is our first episode, The Rules of Our Open Relationship, which we kind of didn't update when we did like, um, I think it was like a non-monogamy Q&A thing. The next most popular episode, not even surprised, asking Khan Porter about his sex life. <laughs> I wish I could do that with every CrossFit Games athlete. That would just be a dream come true. Um, And then this, the third most popular, popular episode was actually episode number two which is bringing toys into the bedroom which makes me think I should probably redo all of those because they're kind of old now um and then we've got we went to a sex club which again yeah so it's super interesting seeing these I'm glad that Greg and Kate and Anal have got more listens it's number nine on the top 10 because I tell everybody to listen to that episode on Reddit I'm literally all up over Reddit, just being like, oh man, you need to listen to this episode where people are talking about their sex life or their experiences with anal. I'm like, yeah, you do yourself a favor and go and listen to this episode. <laughs> so yeah, that was blowing up because of me all over Reddit. Um, okay. Okay. We had Torian pro a few weeks ago. For those of you who don't know what it is, it is the CrossFit semifinals for Oceana. Oceania Oceania. Oceania I always say that wrong Australia New Zealand <laughs> and that's the the step before going to the crossfit games which is in the u.s so it's kind of a big deal and uh, it's in brisbane and we had a ton of people come up to myself and to greg saying we listen to the podcast and it's awesome and it was really cool just like chatting people and immediately i want to just like interrogate them i'm like are you monogamous are you non-monogamous what do you do tell me about your life (laughs) so i had some pretty interesting conversations to the best of our ability because we were set up my business cfk nutrition we were set up right next door to the DJ. Um, (laughs) which I'd actually talked to them about this, uh, potential noise problem prior to the event, um, But they were like, no, it's not meant to interfere with the Vendor village. It definitely interfered with the Vendor village. And they'd offered a different position for me, like out the back of a secondary Vendor village spot. And I was like, there's no way. My spot was so good. It was just really fucking loud. So (laughs) shout out to the girls that were helping me out on the stand and may have lost some hearing since. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that was really good. And you know what? Every time we talk to people, it's like, fuck, we need to do more of these because it's it's really cool interacting with people and knowing that people are actually listening. It, it kind of surprises us every time. Um, dating update. There's been, you know, dating is always it comes in little bursts. So I think I was away for about five or six days and so Greg and I both had like kind of a few dates during that period it's really easy when we're away because you have time to be messaging other people you have multiple free evenings and it's it's just there's less thinking involved and less kind of organizing and you've got the energy and time for it to just dedicate to talking to people and organizing it Um, when I'm at home I just I'm, I'm less inclined to do that so while I was away, I had three separate dates. I think Greg had maybe two, maybe three. Um, and I had a really interesting experience. And I'm going to bring this up, not because I'm trying to shame anyone, but just because I think it just needs to be fucking talked about more. The three guys I saw all had different degrees of like problems with Not problems, just like, I guess anxiety or like issues or fucking, I don't know what you call it. I don't want to call it a problem. That sounds negative, but it was just like they had a thing with sex. And it it just reminded me that it is so common. And I don't think anyone fucking talks about it. But performance issues for men is super common and I wish that one men could talk about it more easily and more fluidly and have I, I guess like different means to go about working with it rather than like it's either on or it's off and if it's off then it's not happening and it's like man there are different things like pleasure is not just about fucking PNV okay penetration is not the only source of pleasure in fact for like 70% of women it's not even gonna fucking get them off so PNV is like most of the time just for the guy. And if it's not working for you for whatever reason, because you can't stay hard with a condom, because you're fucking like worried about coming and so you lose your erection and then you feel worried that you're gonna come too fast and you, so then you stop and pull back. Like whatever is going on inside your head, dudes, men, males with penises out there, whatever is going on, Find ways to just talk about it or find other things to do. It's okay. I think for all women, we would just prefer to fucking find other activities. Like there are so many. And I just feel like it's so limiting if there's no PNV, if that's like, okay, well, I'm just going to pants are up, done up and I'm walking out the door. Like it, it's so limiting. It's so annoying. It's very frustrating. And the funny thing is, is that I think men feel like women get frustrated with their lack of ability to perform. And I say like lack of ability, it's not, it's just like, I think that's an easier way to understand it. But I get more frustrated when men don't talk about it and they can't talk through it. And we can't have this conversation that is a two way conversation. And when I ask them about like, Hey, what are your other turn ons? Like, what else would you like to do? Or if he goes soft, like what gets you hard? What do you normally do? What are you into? Like, what would you enjoy instead of PNB right now? Like, what what are the things that you like? Having some kind of vocabulary, having some kind of literacy around like that conversation rather than like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, okay, uh, like my bad. I'm, I'm, You know, this never happens, whatever the f- cliche lines are. It's like, no, that is not the end of it. And same thing for women, like men should be able to talk to women about like, do you like this? Is this working for you? How do you normally get yourself off? Like what normally makes you come? And is that feeling good? Do you want less? Do you want more? Do you want hands? Do you want fingers? Do you want mouth? Like, do you want fast? Do you want slower? It's like, we should all be able to have these back and forth kind of questions and asking for feedback and asking for, you know, just like direction. It's like we are often trying to get to our destination without gps and it would just make it so much easier for both parties if there was a gps system that was like turn right here (laughs) and 100 meters turn left it's like that's the kind of direction we could be giving each other if we wanted it's just that we get all kind of barred up around it and we put up our walls and we don't feel like comfortable and it's not a conversation that's common so I think we get stuck on the I can't so I just need to get the fuck out of here. Um, So yeah, I had an interesting three separate scenarios where some kind of degree of that happened. um, And one of them was even almost the opposite. It was like I was asking for something specific and I knew that I wasn't going to come. I don't usually come with guys the first time I fuck them. It's just like it's not something that I can do at this point. It's like I need to be much more comfortable and familiar with someone before I can get there. Um, And that's okay with me. Like, I'm happy for that to happen. And I just go through a process where like if after hooking up with them a few times, I can usually kind of get to this point point. Um, but someone had a real issue with that and like, you know, props to them for being like, no, if you don't come, I won't come. But it actually halted the play. And so it actually then became like this, it was the opposite of what I'd had with these other dates where I was like, no, like I want to keep playing. Let's like keep fooling around and do stuff. But it was like, oh no, well, if you don't, then I won't. And it was just, it just became again, kind of centralized around like orgasm. And if there wasn't going to be an orgasm, then it was like, okay, well, plays off. And it's like, Hey, like, let's just, not focus on orgasm so much and if we don't do that then one you're probably more likely to orgasm and two we can just enjoy the pleasure aspects of it and there is no timeline there's no like set order or sequence of things that you have to do you can just have fun and enjoy it and then you know decide when you're done so that was my most recent dating experience since I've been back in Newcastle um, nothing too major has been happening it's usually pretty quiet to be honest like I think a lot of people assume if you're non-monogamous or you're swingers or whatever, polyamorists, you're just having sex all the time and it's just like, orgy upon orgy upon orgy and it's not (laughs) at least it's not for greg and i it's like we are i mean from the outside looking in like we're primarily monogamous really and we're certainly emotionally monogamous with the occasional like sexual fling like really is is what it kind of is i think on average we probably go on dates once maybe twice a month um (laughs) but like i said before it comes and bursts and then we'll be really quiet for ages um so that's that's just kind of what happens Um, But this actually does bring me to... I am on Reddit as... (laughs) As you guys know, and I saw a really interesting post recently that was talking about the 365 day sex challenge, which immediately piqued my interest. Obviously, and so the question is: My wife and I are planning to do the 365 day sex challenge, but don't want to go into this lightly, and would like some kind advice. And I was like, the what? Tell me more, please. So, 365 days of sex is essentially what it is, Um, and it's a challenge, and I kind of was intrigued. And when I read the uh, responses, I was even more intrigued. And somebody responded saying, my wife and I did a variation of this in 2022. So last year, we aimed for 250 orgasms each. That is my kind of challenge. I love this variation of like, hey, well, first of all, the number is not 365, which is good. I think you need some wiggle room. It's the same thing we do with dieting, right? It's like 80% is pretty good. So if you got 90 days, I think it's like 72 of those days is the days you want to eat well. Same thing with the sex. If you got 90 days, 72 of those days would be pretty good. 80% of the time, you're fucking. So I like the wiggle room aspect. Um, and so they actually, he says, they both exceeded the 250 orgasms each over the course of the year. Um, and then the longest we went with Without one uh was three days and it was when his wife had covid so I think what's nice is when you actually remove the you have to do it every single day it probably will happen a little bit more organically and it will come from desire rather than a sense of I have to or I guess you know you'd potentially be in danger of turning it into a, like a chore and doing it just because you have to um so I kind of like that and they kept track of it and what I found through this post was um tracking apps for sex and I downloaded and paid for because I wanted to like look at them and, and dig around and see what they were like I found um, two different apps one of them is called nice and one of them calls was called Aphrodite and they're both sex tracking apps. Now I actually track sex already through Kendara, which is my fertility app because I don't use hormonal birth control. I use fertility tracking. Um, and essentially it means that I have a really good, like understanding of when I'm ovulating, which is when you're fertile. Um, and so I, Greg and I use the withdrawal method, which is obviously a little bit more of a risky method. Um, and funnily enough, it's not that much more risky than using like condoms or the, birth control pill um not according to the instructions right so it's like if you're using birth control or condoms uh, imperfectly the risk is much higher um same thing with regards to like fertility tracking if you're using withdrawal the risk is low but it certainly will increase if you're doing something like withdrawal um but again it's it's worked fucking well for us the only time it didn't work was because he didn't withdraw and that was my bad <laughs> Um, so I basically, we start using withdrawal method from day 11 of my cycle until day 20. So that's nine days. I used to do 11 days, then it pulled back to 10 and then I pulled it back to nine. And that's just because... I know when my period is consistent. I know when I'm ovulating. I know based on my cervical mucus. I know based on my um, cervix position as well. Um, and then also basal body temperature. I don't do basal body temperature as re- as frequently anymore because I just kind of know it's just so consistent for me. Uh, but I definitely recommend for people for at least like one to two years to do BBT. Um, and that's why I tell everyone to do temp drop because you just fucking wear it at night. It's just a wearable tracker. You Bluetooth the data to your phone and boom, you're done. The thermometers that people use like days or just like a cheap one from the chemist they're great but you have to manually take your temperature every morning and that is a process that you can fuck up real easy I did it for two years Quite literally did that for two years. I spent $400 on Daisy, which is in a super expensive, like fancy little thermometer. <laughs> never got a green light. Um, that's their little green light, red light, orange light system. Never got a fucking green light. I was pissed and then it broke. So then I went and got a cheap one. Still never got the pattern that I needed. It was better, but didn't quite accomplish what I wanted. And then when I got a temp drop, literally my first cycle, it nailed it. So <laughs> that's why I'm like, if anybody's not using hormonal birth control, is trying to use fertility charting. Um, Which is, is, I mean, it's valuable regardless of whether you're trying to, uh, you know, use it for contraception or not. I think ultimately if anyone's planning on getting pregnant or if you're planning on going through menopause, which is fucking everyone, then understanding your period to this degree is seriously the best thing you can do to just get a deeper understanding of your body and what is the, what the fuck is going on with it every month. <laughs> so, yes, I use Temp Drop. By the way, I am affiliated with them. So, maybe you call this a sponsored ad. I don't know, but if you're going to go buy one, use my code CFKate. It will give you a nice little discount. And if you wait until they're on sale, which they probably go on sale like, I don't know, every 3 months, um the discount will then be discounted on top of the sale discount, which is always a nice little bonus. So, CFKate at tempdrop.com. Um okay. So that's the birth control method that we use. And um, fuck, I've totally lost my train of thought. Oh, okay. No, I'm back. I'm back. Oh my God. I love it when you get it back. That's the best thing ever. Kindara is where I track sex because I track my fertility so I'm also monitoring like when I'm having unprotected sex when I'm using withdrawal when I'm using protection by the way as well there's lots of different options in there I track all my symptoms I put all that stuff but Kendara I can only track the day that I had sex it doesn't put any other information when I open nice which is the app that I settled on um between nice and Aphrodite 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 was definitely aesthetically more pleasing and entering the data looked cooler like it had like kind of little fancy emojis that you kind of entered. But when you looked at the analysis of the data, it only showed you three things, which I was like, really? And you couldn't access the data anywhere else. So like I couldn't change the reports. I couldn't change any of the like visualizations for the data, it was just like three. Then what it was, was the number of times you had sex, the duration, and then the, I think it was like the average duration for each time that you had sex. It was just like, it was kind of like three useless numbers. Whereas when you look at the stats on nice, You got all the information. Okay, you've got totals, which is total number of entries. Days since your last entry. Days since your last orgasm. Protection used count. Protection not used count. Averages. Entries per day, per week, per month, per year. Time between entries. Favorites. Favorite hour of the day. Favorite day of the week. Favorite month of the year. I think this is going to be a little hard because I like, I don't know how long I'm having sex for and like the time of day I'm not really tracking that stuff it's a little bit more spontaneous and random than that Um, but it also has orgasms total orgasms and total partners orgasms and then activities so it's like oral sex I've added in one for toys you can have like anal hand um, what are some of the other ones like there's a bunch of different ones and then you can also add partners so I've added Greg as a partner Um, and you can also put STI status and just put in a ton of information so like when you put in an entry you've got let me go and edit an entry so you've got the time the date the activities which you select your partners a rating out of five. Oh my god <laughs> the location you can add tags and then you have a little sliding button for protection then duration number of orgasms you had number of orgasms your partner had and then a note if you just want to add any notes in there <laughs> so I fucking love this, and I'm going to start tracking sex, Um, and I haven't, you know, talked to Greg about, like, well, no, Greg knows that I'm tracking it, but we haven't talked about, like, oh, we're going to do a challenge, Um, but I definitely want to see, like, the number of orgasms, I think that's going to be really fun, Um, I'm someone that, in terms of orgasm, I can 100% put Greg before me, Um, I'm a little bit better at, like, asking, or, you know, demanding, or just, doing the thing that gets me off rather than focusing on Greg. But I can also get really lost in the sex, especially when it's penetrative sex. Um, Because when I orgasm, it's usually with toys. Um, Not even usually, probably 100% of the time. Um, There is the occasional time that it's not, but it's usually oral. I do not orgasm from penetration alone. It's happened... I can count the number of times on one hand that that's happened. It's always been with Greg and it's always been a really intense emotional moment. Um, so it just does not happen that regularly. So penetrative sex feels super close for me and it's super indulgent and I really enjoy it and I get a lot of pleasure out of it, but I do not orgasm from it. Um, and so a lot of the time I actually just prefer the penetration even if I don't orgasm because I really get that closeness but then there obviously are also times that I'm like no I feel like I want to orgasm I want to come I want to have that like little peak um so I'm going to be super intrigued to see what the numbers and what the stats are. Um, the other things that were on this post that I just, I kind of liked it. The original poster wrote that they had some kind of rules because they didn't want to take it, you know, they didn't want, they wanted to keep it light. They didn't want it to be like this, you know, ridiculous challenge. So they had seven rules. One, that we will consistently be present and be active participants in the journey. Two, that we would support and motivate each other. (laughs) I would love to see what their motivation to have more sex looks like. Three, we would have grace for ourselves and allow failures, but to learn from them and move on. Four, that we will use this challenge to grow grow the intimacy between us. And that's where I kind of think like that's probably the goal of the challenge, right? Like the goal is to have more intimacy. Therefore, sex kind of becomes a main feature of intimacy when it might actually just be a means to get intimacy. And one of many. And so I think that making sex the star of the show kind of robs the opportunity to use other things to get intimacy. Um, I guess in the same way that, you know, if you've chosen orgasms as your challenge, but regardless, it's a challenge. They need some kind of framework, some kind of system, and that's the one that they're using and it, and it works. The fifth rule is to use this challenge to be a better spouse to each other and to help meet the other, meet the other's needs outside of the bedroom as well as within. Six, to have a broad view of sex, not just P and V, but to understand that intimacy also comes in different forms. Thank you very much. That's what I wanted to hear and read. And then seven, to journal our journey through the next 665 days, 600, well, 365 days, and to document our growth. So that's going to be kind of cool. I I actually will have to, like, I've saved this in Reddit, so I'm going to have to do, like, a little, hey, can you guys give us an update? I want to know what's going on. Um, And then some of the other... Some of the other comments, first of all, a funny one. (laughs) We tried this and wound up with our second kid. (laughs) So that's great. Um, And then I think some people kind of just said some good things and one of them was my wife and I started tracking sex in 2020. We didn't set a goal, we just logged it when it happened. And I think that that's kind of interesting, right? I think it's like, you probably don't necessarily need to set a goal if you just track that will give you a ton of information and it will be valuable. And it's like, you know, things like you'll realize that you have a lot more sex right before you ovulate or right before your period. And that that might be a hormonal thing for your partner. You might realize that when they're really stressed out with work, you actually have less sex or maybe even more sex. And you just kind of will start to be able to understand what's needed in different scenarios or different phases. And, you know, maybe even, turn it up or turn it down according to what's going on rather than just kind of like it being something that is uh i guess just happening you will have a degree of knowing when and how to control it um to potentially benefit you um i like this person this person just said hey start with seven days just do that and i think that's valid um although i i'm i'm a i'm a proponent of like big goals. I do like that. However, I would say that, you know, the 220 or 250 days, I think was, um, the 250 day challenge for the orgasm people. I do like that. I would say if you're going to do a sex challenge, it should be a year long, but rather than every single day, because I, you would hate to be in a position where you missed a day or two and then you feel like you fucked up the whole challenge. Like that's only going to make everybody feel shitty, right? It's like you need to allow for being sick, for being away, for having a last minute work event, for going out on a date and being too full to fuck afterwards. You know, it's like you need to allow for just those things to happen or just feeling not, not in the mood, like not wanting it at the time. So I think the idea of like, hey, it's a 12-month challenge, but you're going to do 256 256, okay? (laughs) That's the number you're going to do. That's the number of times. So um, I kind of like that as like a little twist on the challenge. So then this kind of leads me to another question for you guys. How many of you track the people you sleep with? Because I know for me, I've always kept track. I I know literally everything. I I even know like details of every hookup and I love it because I like reflecting back on it and I like having those memories written down because I'm a forgetful person. I know I am. Plus I plan on being around for a really fucking long time and it's really good when I can reflect back on things with me having written notes at the time that it happened because it just brings it all back. I am someone who keeps track. Greg is and isn't. And I'll let him share the story on his own one day, but he's had phases where he's kept track and phases where he uh, hasn't. And I think since talking, we actually saw a really good video and it was from um, Dr. Jana on Instagram. If you don't follow her, you absolutely must she was talking about her counting. She said that she, I think, used to count or was counting and lost count, but she loves to keep count. And I think, you know, I felt aligned with what she talked about. It was a memory and it was something that she wanted to remember and she valued it and valued that person. And it was almost a, it's almost a sign of respect to the person that you've shared that with because you've remembered it and it's kind of a big deal. And I think it's a nice thing to do. Whereas I know some people would view it as like, oh, that's creepy and like you shouldn't keep a body count and it's just a tally and you're just crossing people off and you don't care about them. It's like, no, I actually think remembering them means that you probably care about them more than the person who's like, I'm never I'm not going to count like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's it's actually not just about a number. It's about like the memories. Right. So I like keeping count. I like keeping track. And so this whole sex app thing of tracking it all with the details, I'm fucking pumped for that. And I will keep you updated with (laughs) how it goes. Today was day one. So currently have a one in all the boxes. Actually yesterday, we have not had sex today. So (laughs) yesterday was day one. Um, If you download it, let me know how you go. Oh, bonus. Nice. The one that I'm using, not Aphrodite. I did not like that one. That one didn't have the data I liked. Nice is like 15 Australian dollars for a lifetime subscription. So you get access to it forever, which is kind of awesome. Um, so I'm right into that, and I'm gonna start tracking. Maybe do a challenge. I don't know. We'll see. I just want to look at the numbers first, and then I'll decide. Greg and I will have a little have a little team meeting. So a little bit of a rant is up next. Usually I rant about the TikTok girl who gives relationship advice like she's in the fucking 1950s. <laughs> she's like, don't settle for anything less than a man who's totally and utterly and absolutely committed to you and you're his first and you're his last and if he's fucked anybody else ditch him babe (laughs) and I'm like man whoa um we have so much shame about sex okay so this time my (laughs) my uh rant feature is a girl that I follow on Instagram and I'm I was going to like go through each Instagram and then I was like no I just I just want to give you the gist. And the reality is I know a fucking zero thing. I know nothing about her relationship and the reality of it. But she's got reels that have like 15 million views and that jokes about having a drink of alcohol her husband walks into the room and thinks he's getting lucky like several of those types of videos or like I'm having a drink of alcohol my husband thinks we're going to get freaky but I'm actually about to complain about how he loads like hasn't loaded the dishwasher or whatever so it's like kind of like these domestic conflicts happening um all wrapped into like drinking alcohol and sex and like how the husband initiates and um you know like what that experience is like for her and it's usually negative and she puts it into this humorous light and I have just so many issues with this on so many different levels and as lighthearted and as funny as it is I think when you see those jokes just like bouncing around the internet you're like fuck me it's actually just the truth it's actually just the reality of our lives which is relationships in 2023 and marriages where women never initiate and they don't want sex and if they drink wine the husband thinks they're going to get it but they fucking like say no and the men are living with this rejection and they don't even know how to initiate anyway and they don't fucking talk about it so no one even knows what they want out of initiation and what they want out of sex and it's like there's like this (laughs) shrouded a mystery sex life that happens that just no one's really communicating about and I just it frustrates me to see people talking about sex like this like this is kind of the only way that people will talk about it and the crazy thing to me is that you know talking about sex like I do it will lead to like thousands of people unfollowing me and so the way that people can get away with talking about sex is in this almost derogatory form where it's like, we are judging people for the way that they're doing it. And it's like kind of this um, unspoken, like you're doing it wrong or like, haha, men always want sex. And like uh, women always have to decline the men. And like, we always have to say no because they're just sex crazy. And it's like, they think they're gonna get lucky, but like <laughs> every time, like we have to say no, because like you fucked up with the dishes or like, absolutely not, I don't want any part of that. And it's just if that's the only way that like people on mass can tolerate talking about sex, then it's just an obviously it's just like the most perfect demonstration of like how dysfunctional relationships are and how dysfunctional sex is within relationships, especially like long term monogamous relationships where you're married and you do have to overcome the hurdle of only fucking one person for your entire life. Like that is a challenge, okay? If you go into a relationship or a marriage and you don't think that being committed to one person emotionally and sexually is going to be hard at some stage, you, my friend, are fucking ignorant (laughs) in the kindest way possible. (laughs) You need to consider the and I guess it's kind of a weird way to put it but it's like consider the worst possible scenario like what are the what are the things that could happen even if at the beginning of a relationship you be like it'll never happen to us what could happen what if you get bored what if someone's libido fucking falls off a cliff and they do not want sex what if someone initiates and it's just an initiation in a way that you fucking hate what if you get in the habit of only having sex when you drink how do you relearn how to have sex without alcohol alcohol? What if you only have sex in the dark? What if you have body issues and at some stage when you gain weight, you do not want your partner to see you naked? What about those things? Because if we don't get honest and upfront and vulnerable about that, when we are with one person for forever, you are going to be dealing with those issues with that one person for forever. And so sex needs to be this conversation that you can have at any point in any place at any time. And like, I like to joke with Greg, we talk about sex at the most inappropriate times. Like we're in the car this morning, I had a question pop up on paired and the question was, if you could have a sexual superpower, what would it be? And it was like, we were literally sitting at the lights, we'd just finished working out, we were waiting for the train. We were stuck at the lights. And it was like this question popped up and I asked him and it was like super normal conversation. And then we started talking about like, oh, my first superpower that came into my mind was actually like kind of a one based in like my insecurities and like I would want this to happen so that I could get this Um, and I wouldn't have to deal with that challenge. And then, you know, the secondary thought that we had was, but actually no, no, maybe I would want it to be this. And so then we actually kind of had this really interesting little conversation, this mini conversation about sex. And that's kind of what I want for everybody where it is just such a normal thing to talk about and all your shit's out on the table. Like you're, you're open, right? Like there's nothing that your partner doesn't know and they know all your dirty secrets. Um, and this has been a long time coming. It's not an easy thing to do. I've never done this with another partner. So don't feel like I'm sitting here on like some fucking high horse being like, oh, you guys should just talk about sex and it's fine. It's not. It's also really hard to do. And I think that's why so many people Find themselves in relationships where they can only joke about it, right? Like, that's the only outlet. We can joke, but otherwise, don't go any further than that because it's a little bit uncomfortable and it's a little bit too close to home. For me, talking to Greg about sex, the thing that helped me was talking to him about the biggest problem that I had, which was figuring out how to orgasm with a partner. That terrified me talking to a guy, especially a guy that I liked about that. I really. I felt so uncomfortable and so challenged and embarrassed and I hated it. I hated it about myself so much. It was this secret that I had. No one knew about it. I could pretend it didn't exist if I wanted to when I was with other people. It wasn't talked about. It was never confirmed. It was like, you know, I could just kind of play pretend and play happy and just get along with it and it wouldn't be a problem. But the reality was that I was Destined to have this like unfulfilling sex life if I let that happen. And one of the first things that Greg and I did was. Um, the New York Times put out a uh, really cool article that was 36 questions to fall in love. And I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before. That was the first series of questions that Greg and I did when we first met. Like we've constantly done questions as uh, like just it's like the theme of our relationship. We have always asked questions and we don't come up with them out on our own. We've always used really good prompts or really interesting questions that we've found places. So we often talk about the question decks. Um, we've got like six of them and we're just constantly working through them when we go on date nights or random nights at home whatever we probably do it a couple times a week still like we're almost at three years and we just always do questions it's become a pivotal part of our relationship pivotal maybe that's not the right word maybe like central <laughs> um but anyway it's a it's a really it's a foundational part of our relationship or fundamental some fucking big good hearty word that means it's important okay that's what I'm looking for <laughs> and 36 questions to fall in love finishes with tell the person that you're with or whoever it is that you're doing this with uh, them about a challenge that you're experiencing right now and ask them for advice and what I like about it is you have to share something share something that is hard for you right now and then you have to be open to their influence so you have to ask them for their feedback and I think it's a really interesting position to put yourself in when you ask someone for their feedback and their opinion. I think we spend a lot of time sharing our opinion and giving our thoughts on our shit that we're going through, but we don't often invite in an opinion and invite in someone else's thoughts, um, you know, not, not genuinely. And so I remember him asking this question and being like immediately in my head, I just knew that I had to talk about orgasm. Like it had come up. It was something that like I'd been thinking about and I'd kind of been struggling with and I kind of, you know, like Greg and I had, we're both aware of it, but we just probably hadn't really verbally like gotten into the details of it. And certainly not to like the point where I was like, it is a problem. I find this really hard. I don't know what to do. Um, And so that was the first thing that came into my mind when this question came up. And I was like, fuck, that's the thing I have to talk about. And I was like, "Okay, what are the problems do I have? What are the the problems do I have? Come on, I got to have something else. I was like, there's got to be another challenge in my life right now. God damn it. And I couldn't think of anything else. And I was literally panicking trying to think of something else. (laughs) And I was just like, "Okay, I have to tell you the thing. And I really don't want to. It's super cringy for me. I feel really uncomfortable. Um, but I think like what I really struggle with is just orgasm. And I think that was all I could say. I don't think I could really explain any more than that. I was like, I just really struggle with it. And uh, yeah, what's your advice? And, um, you know, he gave me advice along the lines of like, hey, just redefine pleasure and like let's not focus on orgasm and let's just focus on like enjoying being with each other physically and, and let that be that. Don't be so goal oriented. Um And that was kind of the beginning of us talking about it. That wasn't the last conversation. It is an ongoing conversation. And I think that's the other important element for me. One, you have to start talking about it. And then two, you have to keep talking about it. I think the idea that we can talk about a topic once and that be it is, you know, is probably actually the bigger issue. And I know I'm like, this is the big issue. This is the actual issue. This is what's really going on. it just becomes inception of like well this is what's actually happening and like no this is the truth but I think you know for most of us in relationships when we begin dating we ask all those questions like we're quite curious and we want to get to know someone and then we never ask those questions again so it's like I kind of remember asking Greg about his childhood when we first met but I remember getting a few weeks in and being like oh I think that happened in his childhood I can't really remember and then being like uh like I probably just won't bring it up again but you know it would come up because it would come up on our question deck and was good because he would remind me about his version of his life and his story and his experiences and it was like kind of nice to talk about it again and I could ask new questions that had come up that hadn't occurred to me at the time and so the idea of like you know bringing it up is one challenging on its own but then we've also got to feel ready to keep talking about it and make it this constant thing it's almost like hey if you've brought it up once like just keep it up (laughs) just no pun intended just keep it up Um, So I think that that is something when I see some of those jokes about sex and alcohol and like marriages, I'm like, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. I want to know. And then here's the other thing about sex. Sex is something that provides you pleasure in multiple ways. Somebody actually sent me this and I think it was after a podcast or on Instagram and it's the wheel of consent. Don't be confused. It's not necessarily about communicating consent in terms of like asking and getting permission from someone to do something and having consensual activities, whether they're sexual or whatever. The wheel of consent is about giving and receiving pleasure And letting yourself be in the giving position, in the taking position, in the receiving position, in all these different positions that we will ultimately be in when we are being intimate with someone. So um, I'm actually just going to pull it up. They have a page. It's called The Wheel of Consent. I'm 99% sure. Yeah, literally just called The Wheel of Consent. Um, A woman called Dr. Betty Martin. um, Her book is The Art of Receiving and Giving. And it's The Wheel of Consent. And essentially, you've got a circle and it's cut in quarters. You've got the allow at the bottom left and opposite at the top right is take. And then you have serve, which is the top left and opposite to that at the bottom right is accept. And so essentially, you've got these lines where you are doing something or they are doing something opposite to it. You are giving a gift for them, and opposite to it, you are receiving a gift. It's for you. And you've got all these things happening where there will be times during sex where you will do an action that benefits others, which is serve or giving, okay, commonly called giving. And so, yes, I will give something, and then the partner will accept. Or receive, and they will benefit from the actions of the others. And so suddenly there's this direction from serve or give to accept or receive. And so you're receiving a gift, the other person is giving a gift. And then what happens is this other kind of two quarters of this circle is the take, which is may I, where you do an action that benefits. You. So you're doing something to them that you get pleasure from. You benefit from it. The other person has to allow for this to happen. They say, yes, you may, to the may I question. And so this person allows others to act as they want in order for them to get the benefit, in order for them to receive the gift. You must give them the gift. And so what I like about this is I think a lot of the time men are the active pursuers of sex and women are the passive receivers of sex. And we're constantly in this position of allowing and the men are constantly in this position of taking, but that's actually not what is happening. And actually, I shouldn't say it's not what's happening. It doesn't have to be what's happening. When you think about sex and you think about someone taking something, you must give it to them first, right? And that's really where consent comes in. You must give them the gift so that they can do the act which they benefit from. And that's the gift that you get to give them. And so that is an opportunity for you to get pleasure out of giving them the gift, out of letting them take and get their pleasure, And then hopefully at some point, you will get to be in the position of the taker when you want sex or when you want a certain physical activity to happen, to go down, whatever it is that you want. One day you get to be the taker and they will have to allow. What's been really interesting is Greg and I are both givers. We're not very good at being the ones to receive. So in terms of like being of service. Both of us are really good at being of service and one, we get pleasure out of that by giving an action to benefit someone else, doing an action to benefit someone else. But it also means that when we give pleasure, we get pleasure and somebody else can be our priority rather than us feeling like the selfish one, rather than us being the receiver and so what was important for us was to actually learn how to be the receiver. And I know for Greg that was massive and I really enjoy Greg sitting back and me just being able to do whatever I want. It's like, you know, we've often used terms like cock worship and pussy worship and we both really enjoy that and it's super indulgent and I just I I love doing that and taking those times where it's not about P and V. It's actually just about like, hey, can you just lie the fuck down? your body is mine now. (laughs) So I'm gonna, I'm gonna essentially, like, do what I want to him. But he, in order for me to do that, has to receive, he has to allow it to happen. And so that's been really hard for him to not be giving pleasure, to just be receiving pleasure. And it's almost like, you know, it's it's almost to the point where receiving pleasure can become uncomfortable because you're not giving it back and it doesn't feel even and you're worried about the other person and you're an empath and you're an overthinker and it's like you want to make sure that they're taken care of and that that they're enjoying themselves. But we have to realize that allowing them to do the thing to us is them enjoying themselves. And so being the person that receives, being the person that is allowing the other person to do an action to us is the gift it is the gift that we get to give Um, and sometimes we want to give the gift and sometimes we want to receive the gift so go and look up the wheel of consent and get your eyeballs around it and try to understand it it's super cool I think it's such a nice concept and such a nice perspective on sex and I think when I see people talking about like you know like men always want sex or like the joke of like men just like trying to initiate sex whenever they see their wives drinking it's like I think that tells me that there's probably a lot of women out there that don't want sex and so it's this joke when they always have to like reject their husband for it um, and if they do have sex it's when they've usually had a wine or two and it's like okay so when we think of this wheel of consent there's probably no gift like and if there is a gift it's the men taking it Right, and the woman kind of allowing it just because it's the only the only way that it can. um, It's just what it looks like. So yeah, I just kind of I guess where I'm going with it is, can we can we create relationships where people get both people get what they want out of sex, and then both people not only get what they want but they also allow the other person to get what they want, and it's this trade right it's not like a tit for tat it's that both of us at some point are going to be the takers and both of us at some point should be the givers and that is the balance that we're trying to find and it's not a power dynamic it's not it's not um it's not like a you did this so I should do this or like you did this x number of times so like I don't want any more of that like it's it's not about scorekeeping. It's just about figuring out like how do we get maximum pleasure from this thing that we do that's supposed to be about pleasure? And if you're not getting pleasure, then there's probably a conversation that needs to be had ASAP. So that was my little rant on uh my Instagram and on the will of consent. That's your homework. Go and look it up. I'm going to finish this podcast by sharing a story. It's story time. On the weekend, Greg and I went to a BDSM workshop. Now, I've had some interesting thoughts about BDSM lately. And one of them has been around BDSM and sex. And, you know, I say sex, but I mean like just, just sex activities, like anything to do with sex, just sexuality, sex, sexy stuff. And what I've kind of realized is that BDSM and sex are two Totally separate things, like two completely different things. You can have BDSM that is not sexual at all, and you can have sex that has no BDSM at all. Then you can have both. So then they can cross over. You can have BDSM that gets sexy, and you can have sex that gets a little (laughs) BDSM-y. So I think that's where the confusion came from for me, where I was like, oh, these people that are into BDSM, it's just like this different version of sex. And, you know, I think it's like a lot of us probably see some BDSM from stuff like porn. So like, you know, the idea of pornography is very much about sexuals, like sex and sexual stuff. So then BDSM kind of gets like lumped into sex and this, I guess, like not advanced, but like next level this like step up this more outrageous thing to try and do and it's like it's totally out there and like you know I think even going beyond just the activity a lot of people will assume that it's like oh it's for like freaks or people on the outskirts of society which is a big fucking lie it's the same thing with swingers it's like you go to like this you know you go to your first sex party and you're like oh there are normal people okay I'm an asshole same thing with the speediest shop. I'm like no oh, it's totally normal people yeah I'm a I'm a fucking douche canoe cool <laughs> We assume that it's, like, all these, like, freaks of nature just doing all these wild sexual things. And it's it's not. But anyway, I've had this realization where I'm like, oh, kink and sex are separate. Oh, my God. People do kink as an experience. And it's a physical experience. And for some reason, it seems to be attached to sex. And probably because... I guess it does often become part of sex and like, you know, couples will bring in different BDSM things or people that practice BDSM will then make it sexual and it will turn into sex or whatever it is. Um, but they are separate and talking to these people at the BDSM uh, workshop, they were talking about their kink parties and their kink parties were by the way, wild. They looked Fucking insane! Like just bdsm some stuff that I've never even heard of or couldn't even dream up. It was just like you know outrageous. But a lot of it wasn't necessarily sexual. Like a lot of it was just these experiences and these things that people would do to their bodies and be able to, I guess, do things that you can't do under normal circumstances and normal environments. Right? It's like you need that special environment to be able to do that stuff. And so this party that they created, it was in in um. I think it was Canberra. Um, They used to be renowned for these like farm parties and uh, they've just moved to Newcastle. Hence, they were doing this workshop. And yeah, just this whole thing was like starting to click in my brain. And at the BDSM event, they had an impact play workshop. They walked through all of these floggers. Oh my God! So many different floggers. All these different types of materials. A lot of them were handmade, and then like you know everything from like soft deer skin or like bunny fur to like metal and barbed wire and like sheets of plastic that had been cut up. Like <laughs> just like a very broad range of instruments with lots of different textures and obviously things that will provide many different sensations and that's kind of the goal it's like how do we create different sensations and how do we combine them in a way which is a really interesting experience and so for me I was like still thinking like oh people just get turned on and it's like a really sexual experience Even if there's no sex involved, like there doesn't even have to be nudity involved. But I was like, it still, you know, gets people going like that's the point of it. And then this was when I realized it's not. It is actually purely 100% a physical experience. A lot of the time it is not sexual in nature at all. And the reason I discovered this was I was flogged. (laughs) Full send flogged for the first time. (laughs) <laughs> now Greg and I do have a flogger we have like a paddle we have a couple of like leather instruments Um, but we play with them and we kind of just like tinker around with them and like nothing too crazy it's also kind of hard in the context of a couple that's already established and there's a lot of care and love there it's hard to push each other's boundaries um, and there's also a lack of experience like we don't really have a ton of experience in the kink world or BDSM just with some light-hearted things here and there a few restraints, a few toys a little bit of this, a little bit of that so this was next level Level. and Greg said it best in the car ride on the way home I'm like how was that for you like he kind of watched not kinda he did he watched <laughs> he was like uh yeah it was it was it was good like I, I'm fine I just watched a five foot five sadomasochist gay dom flog my girlfriend but uh yeah no it was cool <laughs> so the guy's name was Robbie he's also known as Robustus um he does Really, really interesting BDSM stuff and a lot of different kink stuff. Um, he was there with Mistress Jackie um, and her partner, I think Bear or Phil. So they were just like this group and they were just these incredible like personalities, these big characters. They were great to talk to. And um, they talked us through a bu- bunch of different stuff around flogging. And then, yeah, we were kind of just talking and I was like, Would you flog me? <laughs> a sentence I never thought I would say. Um, and it, let me tell you, was intense I cried not even kidding had a full emotional experience it was like I was on drugs and I compare it to I did a breathing workshop at the open mind space with Murray Smith um, it was actually Tim Morrison who'd come out for it Murray Smith there now does it um, and it's so crazy it's super cool you do a lot of really intense shallow breathing. And essentially, like, you kind of just... depriving your brain of oxygen, right? Like your brain just doesn't get enough oxygen. And it just like brings up all these chemical reactions in your body and your body starts to get into this stress state. And so we go from being potentially sympathetic, which is our uh, rest and digest state to being in a parasympathetic state or tone, which is our fight or flight state. And so when you get into this like heightened emotional place, you can become quite easily triggered or reactive and like for me, emotional and Crying has always been something that I've wrestled with in my life. Like it's just been something that has been challenging to me. I've not liked it. I've had some interesting experiences with family, with my parents. And like crying was, it was something that little kids did. And like it wasn't an attractive thing to me. And I've always resisted crying, like always. And I've had this identity around being like strong and like carefree and not emotional, not crazy, not clingy. Like So I've got all this stuff kind of intertwined in with like the not crying thing. But at this breathing um, workshop, you do this breathing for like 20, 30 minutes. And then I just, my body just was like, it took over. I had no control anymore. And it, I think it, you know, brings to the surface anything that you're emotionally going through at the time. And so, you know, you can just feel yourself like wanting to pour out with tears and break down, like you feel yourself just wanting to break down and have this like, full blown just like waterworks and um, a lot of the instructors will come around and say certain things to you and like the things that they say it's like they're speaking to your goddamn soul and so it only you know makes matters that much more intense and so like you just lose it you fucking lose your shit I swear to god I had the exact same experience being flogged (laughs) it was super bizarre it kind of built up slowly and um when he started I was like oh that's a lot harder than what I thought it was gonna be and by the way I was fully clothed like I had this like crop top on and I had high-waisted jeans on like there was nothing sexual about it I was wearing like fucking 20 year old Adidas shoes that are nasty and uh just leaning against the doorway in this like really gross old brothel it's actually still currently used as a brothel but they'd rented out the entire space for the day and this brothel is like <laughs> imagine the worst pretend like medieval castle uh, like a themed uh, restaurant or like you know like something just fucking gross (laughs) that was like this brothel had all this like old leather furniture the painting was all these weird colors it had this bizarre artwork on the wall it had these beds it was just like the weirdest place ever all the towels were like red and white it was just so strange (laughs) they had like the most weird shit in there and uh anyway so it's not like it was like the super sexy dark dimly lit hot place and I was in black lingerie no none of that most unsexual environment you could possibly imagine and most unsexual experience you could imagine it was quite a bit harder than I thought um, like the flogging that we've done in the past with Greg and I has always felt a little bit like, oh, the flogger's is not actually that hard. Like it doesn't really do anything, especially if you're trying to use it when you're rolling around on a bed, like it doesn't really work. And if you're targeting like a butt cheek, it's like, it's very, it's a hard target to get. It's not flat. It's not upright. It's round. It's kind of small. But when you have someone standing and you've got their whole upper back, that's a different kind of target. And the amount of, uh, impact you can get much higher. And so that was kind of my first reaction. I was like, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And there are different sensations. There's a more um, stingy hit, which is often the ends of the leather, or in my case, it was deer skin. It's when it kind of whips you. So it kind of catches your skin and you can kind of feel it. And it's like that, like kind of stingy, high pitch pain feeling. Um, and then there's a more thumpy hit or impact. And so early on a lot of the hits were a little bit more light and a little bit more stingy and then as they got harder they would get more thumpy I'm gonna see if I can find this video of it and what he did is he kind of you know in quotation marks warmed me up um and essentially just kind of got me used to it and like I just knew where he was going to hit. He got into a pattern. He got a rhythm. I could kind of feel it out and knew what it was going to be like. And he was talking to me and he'd go for like, you know, 10 or 15 hits just like kind of consistently. And then he'd like rub my back. And so you would have this experience of something quite painful and sore, Um, nothing like unbearable, but it was sore. And then he would rub his fingertips over my back and it would be like goosebumps. You know, it would feel really, it was like this massive contrast of feeling. And then the hits got harder. That was when things changed. When the hits started to get harder, it was like he would do maybe three or four at like kind of a moderate to hard impact or level of like pain, I guess. And then he would say one. And from that point he would count or I would count to 10. He would do 10 moderate. He would do six hard to moderate or moderate to hard. And then he would do four hard. And progressively, he probably did that cycle maybe five times and we would rest in between. He would like stroke my back again. He would check in. He would ask me how it felt and if it was good, if I liked it, what my body was feeling. And he would kind of just check in on what I was doing, my body language and things. And towards the end, it was like my arms were shaking. I couldn't respond when he was asking me questions anymore. I was like feeling like this, like swelling up of emotions and my eyes were getting watery and I just like I kind of broke down like I started crying and we didn't stop it wasn't like I curled up onto the floor and cried it was just like it just started coming out and what was great is that during this workshop um, for the BDSM day mistress Jackie had said whatever comes up just let it because people have a multitude of experiences and reactions to being impacted and this kind of play We've had grown men cry. We've had little girls giggle. Anything can happen, and you just need to let it. If you wanna cry, if you wanna laugh, if you wanna scream, if you wanna swear, if you wanna moan, if you wanna growl, you need to just let it happen. Thank God she'd said that because I was just like, let it happen. Just let it happen, breathe, feel it, and notice what it feels like. And it was just so crazy. I think it was this experience of like, deliberately putting yourself into a position where you were kind of being hurt, right? Like you're being put into physical pain and your body responding to that and just forcing yourself to stay there and feel it and see what happens. Um, and so it was just like wild. Let me see if this will, um, play with volume. Okay. That slapping is me being flogged. This is the six moderate. For, and I'm counting my head. Thank God I had the number of reps. The number of whips. This is the four hard, And he fucking cracks that flog over my back. Okay. I had a red back for the rest of the day. I had so much heat in my back. My arms had gone shaky. When I dropped my hands from the doorframe that I was leaning against, it was like my body had tingles all through it and literally it was like I'd, you know, it's like I liken it to the breathing experience where like you're breathing and you haven't got enough oxygen and you're getting yourself into this really worked up state but it's also the same experience I've had at like a music festival at like two in the morning after doing a ton of MDMA and just like dancing to like the Best song the, your favorite DJ and just like having this like crazy out of this world experience like in your body like you are no longer in it you cannot feel it it's separate to you it's like that was kind of the experience it was like my body didn't feel like my body my skin was my skin was like everything I touched felt different and that was that was my experience it was it was surprising it was unexpected it was emotional it was it was intense like it was super intense and there was nothing that (laughs) made me want to have sex afterwards I wanted to like cuddle and I wanted to like just be held by Greg and I and I and I was hyper like I was really hyper we were talking and I I already talk fast but I was talking way faster it was like I'd had a shot of adrenaline I was it was like I'd had three espressos I was just like shaky and jittery and like couldn't couldn't talk slowly, couldn't breathe properly. It was like a panic attack, but a happy one. It was, it was super crazy, super fucking crazy. Um, so I guess if you've been checking out like sex communities nearby and you know some of the clubs or some of the, you know, people in the community and you've seen them on Instagram and they put up something about some kind of impact or kink or BDSM workshop, I highly encourage you to go. I would have never guessed that I would do something like that. Even like having been at sex clubs and swinging with Greg and doing all these things. It's like kink and, (coughs) excuse me, BDSM. uh, Things that still were kind of not, I didn't really understand them to be honest. (coughs) This always happens when I talk too much. I end up dying. (coughs) Yeah, so I, I think one... I just didn't really have a proper understanding of it, first of all, and two, I'd always thought that it was like to to um, I guess like lift up the experience of sex. I thought it was like an accessory to sex. That's what I thought about BDSM or King. It was just something that you would do in addition. And then this made me go, oh no, it's a physical experience that is totally separate from sex. And yes, it can be done and incorporated with sex. But I think in its true form, it's about a physical experience. And so, yeah, that was eye-opening for sure. And I definitely think if anybody else were able to do something like that, just fucking do it. It was, it was pretty wild. So that's the story that I'm going to leave you guys on. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you want to write a review, I guess this is what I meant to say at the end of a podcast. If you want to write a review please go and write one i would love it if we got some reviews and got some feedback if you want to if you want to like send me feedback um the kate gone rogue instagram is probably a good place to do that or cfk obviously you can go to my page as well um Please let us know, let let us know what's interesting. Let us know your experiences. Let us know your stories, whether you're monogamous, non-monogamous, whether you are into kink, whether you're into swinging, like whatever. If you have questions, I would love to do more questions on this show as well. Um, And like, honestly, if you send in a question, do a voice recording and then I can play it on this podcast and I can answer it and we can do a fucking epic like question and answer on this podcast, which I think would always be fun. Greg's going to be on the next one. I'm going to floss him too. We've got two mics now, so it should be fun. Thank you guys. Happy Wednesday. And we'll see you guys next time.